Galatians chapter 3. Galatians, the, the theme of the book of Galatians is, of course, grace. And it's that we, we are saved by grace through faith, and then we live the Christian life by grace through faith. We, don't, we weren't saved through the works of the law, neither do we live the Christian life by the works of the law. It's all based on His grace and by faith. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Just as a, a, a side thought, you see here that our, that our salvation is based on one letter. There's only one seed, Jesus Christ. He is the, he's the seed of David, according to the Word of God. He is the seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God said that, that thy seed will be at enmity with her seed, speaking to Satan. It's the, the plan of the ages would be a battle between the seed of Satan and the seed of God. And who's the seed of God? Jesus Christ. And that's why in, in John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, if you have a modern translation of the Bible, only begotten is taken out of that. And so it says He gave His only Son. Well, we are His sons. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to be called the sons of God, to as many as believed on His name. So anyone who receives Jesus Christ as their Savior is a son of God. But it's not one of us who died for our sins. It's the only begotten Son of God who died for our sins. And that is the seed, Jesus Christ, that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. It's very important for us to understand that, that the preservation of one letter determines our eternal salvation. And that's why we have to believe that God has preserved every word. Amen? That's such an important thing. Our doctrinal understanding, what we believe about the Word of God and about the God of the Word determines our eternity. And while it's important the things that are going on in our lives, we are able to deal with the, the cares of this world, the cares of this life, because of the rock-solid foundation that we have to stand on, and that is the Word of God. Amen? All right, so verse 16 again. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. All right, so here's what the Bible's saying. God made a promise. He made a covenant with Abraham. It was an unconditional covenant, and we'll look at it again in a minute, that was not based on anything that Abraham did. It was based on what God had promised. And what the Bible is saying, God had promised Abraham a seed, that Jesus Christ would come through his seed. God had promised him that. And then he promised him a land. And those promises are true. Look at what it says. In verse 17 again, middle of the verse, the law which was 430 years after, so 430 years after the promise of uh, Abraham, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So the fact that they didn't keep the law, that didn't remove the promise. All right? Verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law... It is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. 
Wherefore then serveth the law? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand the purpose of the law today. As believers, we understand that we're saved by grace through faith. Lord, we understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the gospel of the New Testament, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That He died for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose from the dead the third day according to the Scriptures. That belief in that gives us hope of eternal life or the promise of eternal life. Lord, we understand that. But I don't think, Lord, that in general we understand the purpose of the law. Lord, I know that we won't have a complete understanding of that today, but help us to have a better understanding by the time we're done and help us to understand even more your wonderful, amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are glad you're saved by grace today? Amen. Amen. Uh, Oh, man, the law was a very difficult thing to live under. So let's... What I want to do for this week and the next few weeks is next week we're going to take a break. We're going to do a message every month this year, hopefully, Lord willing, on prayer because our theme has come boldly. So next week we're going to look at how to pray for your family, how to pray for your home. And then we'll come back to this subject that we're dealing with today. What is the purpose of the law? Why is it there? Um, First and foremost, the basic division that we have to understand in the Bible is the division between law and grace. Is that right? Now, sometimes you'll have somebody say that I'm a covenant theologian or I'm a dispensationalist, and you have all of these things. All of us divide the Word of God. All right? So all of you who want to people help me. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. You guys can do better than that. What would you do to the kids if they answered like that? Let's try it again. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth. We all divide the word of truth. We just either do it rightly or wrongly. Is that right? Everyone divides it at least, well, unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Does anyone here know any Seventh-day Adventists? Okay. Seventh-day Adventists don't divide it anymore. They, they bring it all back together. But pretty much everybody else who would, who would call themselves Christian, they would divide it at least into two, Old Testament and New Testament. So we all divide it. But how do we divide it? One of the major divisions is law and grace. Law and grace. Um, The mixing of these two revelations of God, and grace comes from God, and the law came from God. The mixing of these two things has led to countless uh, errors in the Word of God or errors in interpretation of the Word of God, doctrine and practice. Let me give you an example. The law stones an adulteress. Grace pardons her. Under the law, the sheep dies for the shepherd. Under grace, the shepherd dies for the sheep. How many of you see a difference there? It's completely different. Under law, you labor and then you rest. Under grace, you rest and then you labor. It's just, it's different. It's a completely different system. It's a completely different understanding. Now, let me say this. Foundational principle. God's always been gracious to man. Whether it was under the law, whether it was before the law, or whether it was after the law, God has always been gracious to man. Now, sometimes people misunderstand this. That you have an idea that, they, that, that there was no grace before, because of the law. There was no grace until the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ came. And people get that understanding 
because of a passage of Scripture. Look with me at John chapter 1 and verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great verse? Um, those of you who are school teachers who deal with literature, I would challenge you to um, have your students study John chapter 1. Poetically, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of literature ever written. Uh, just fantastic. And this statement right here is so true. For the law, let me say it right, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What happens is, when you just take one sentence and try to build your entire doctrinal understanding from that one sentence, that can lead to misunderstanding. All right? So, did grace and truth come by Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at the next verse. No man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Uh, look at verse 14. For the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. So the first time that anyone really bore witness, anyone could actually see grace and truth, personified in, in flesh was when Jesus Christ came. Amen? So that's what's being spoken of here. And I'll demonstrate that to you from the Scriptures. But look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, how many of you believe that God spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets? We have it. It's called our Old Testament. Okay? We believe that. And, and that's, that's good to have, isn't it? It's the Word of God. All right? So God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Who? This is Jesus Christ. Being the brightness of His glory. Of whose glory? The Father. Jesus Christ is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of His person. Whose person? The Father's. Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father's person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Yeah, what, a, what a wonderful... First of all, it is beautiful literature, isn't it? But it means something. It has great truth. And that is that we viewed the Father by seeing the Son. That's what happened when grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, look at Galatians chapter 3. Let's go back there to the passage we just looked at. And verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. All right, so God made promises to Abraham before the law, at least 430 years before the law. Do you see that in the text? Why did he do that? Because Abraham was such a good man and he had earned it. He deserved it. Is that right? No. Why did he do it? By grace. By grace. What is grace? It's God giving you something that you don't deserve. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. If you have to work for it, it's not grace. Amen? Well, that's how the covenants came. That's how the promises came. This promise to Abraham came by grace. It was the grace of God. And grace was before the law. And the law was before Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So grace and truth 
existed before Jesus Christ came in the flesh at Bethlehem. So when you read a verse like John 1.17, you have to get the context. What it was saying was that we actually saw it for the first time. We saw it in flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of full of grace and truth. So that's what that text is talking about. And what the text is saying here in Galatians chapter 3 is that nothing that happened, whether obedience or disobedience to the law, none of that could disannul, none of it could make null and void the agreement that God had made with Abraham and had promised him. All right? So now, let's go on. What is the purpose of the law? This is a good question, isn't it? If somebody is going to ask you, well, if we're under grace, then why do, do we even need to worry about the law? Do we even need to think about it? Well, the first reason that, great, that the law was given is given for us here in verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? Wherefore serveth the law? What was the purpose of the law? The first purpose of the law was to serve man. I can never think of that without thinking of the old Twilight Zone episode. Where these, how many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a few people here. Freaked me out when I was a kid. I watched this Twilight Zone episode and these aliens came. They had these really big heads. You know, looked like a new. But they... <laughs> Brent's giving me a dirty look back there. He's too big to give me dirty looks. That might be bad. These aliens came. And th- what, they, they're, th- what they're going to do is they're going to establish a new people and they're going to help people. And they give them this book. It's called To Serve Man. And everybody's thinking, this is wonderful. This is great. They're going to take them to a planet where they're going to serve man. Then finally somebody translated it right as the people got onto the ship and it was sailing away. And they said, it's a cookbook. So when I think of serving, this is a, a, I always go back to, to serve man with the Twilight Zone. But that's not what this is talking about. The law was not how to eat people. Look at what it says. Wherefore then serveth the law? There's an assumption in the question by the Apostle Paul, actually by the Holy Spirit of God, right? There's a question. There's an, and in that question is an assumption that the law is to serve something. There's a service that's involved. God gave the law to serve men, to protect them, to preserve them, to bless them, so that men would be drawn to the lawgiver. How did he do that? Because man, trapped in a world of murder, kidnapping, forcing women, uh, violation of property rights, enslavement, slavery, all of that, the idea was that they would see the nation of Israel and see a, a world that was ordained by God, a nation that was ordained by God, and it's a lot better. It, it's, it's a lot better. That was the purpose of it. Uh, it was given... Because man can't rule themselves. I'll get to that more in a little bit. So first of all, it was given to serve man. Secondly, it was given so that God's people could live peacefully with each other. Now, how many of you know the world likes to talk about peace? Peace, man. Come get in my Volkswagen bus. That The world wants peace. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. I never thought I would see that stuff again, you know. It's back. Deuteronomy 4. 
Look at verse 1. This is why God gave them the law. Uh, speaking of Israel, but you know what? I need to lay a foundation here, just, just a couple of seconds. Don't ever miss it that the law was for Israel. Okay, the law is not for the United States of America. The law was given for Israel. Now, can the United States of America learn something from the law? Yes, and we did. I'll demonstrate that to you here in a little while. But, but the law was given to Israel. All right, look at verse 1. Now, therefore, hearken, O United States, unto... Okay, let's try this again. Now, therefore, hearken, O church. Who is the law given to? Israel. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them, look at what it says, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. So why did he give it to them? So they could possess the land. So that they could live in the land. Is, is, is that clear? It's amazing how people get so messed up on the purpose of the law. Does it say here? Let me, I'm going to read this again. All right? Now, therefore, hearken, O man, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live eternally in heaven. Is that what the text says? Why then do we have so many churches all over the world that are teaching people to do something so they can go to heaven? Keep the law, obey these things so that you can go to heaven. It, they didn't get it from the Bible. They didn't get it from the Old Testament or the New Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that God will give you eternal life if you will keep the law. It's not there. So the purpose of the law was never to give eternal life. The purpose of the law was to give men peace so that they could live in the land. All right, so now, look at... We're still in Deuteronomy. Look at verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish it, or neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God, look at what it says, are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. So it was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to serve man, and the purpose of the law was to allow man to live peacefully in the land. In the land. God had a purpose for the land of Israel. Now listen to what I said. He had a purpose for the land of Israel. He also had a purpose for the people of Israel. But those are not the same. What God told him was, if you want to stay in this land, I've got a plan for it. If you'll obey the law, you can stay in the land. If you don't obey the law, I'm going to take you out of the land. If you'll obey the law and keep the law, you'll live peacefully with each other in the land. If you don't, I'll take you out of the land. All right? Purpose of the law. Purpose of the law was to serve people, to help them to know how to live with each other. 
And it was also to say, so that they could live peacefully in the land. All right? So what, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to serve man. It's to serve man. Um, uh, look with me at uh, Mark, book of Mark. Let's see what Jesus said about it. Two. Mark chapter 2. Look at verse 27. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So who was the law for? I think three people read the verse with me. Look, let's read the verse again. Let's see if we can answer this question. The verse says, and he said, this is Jesus Christ speaking unto them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. All right, the Sabbath was part of the law. Jesus had violated their interpretation of the law by allowing his men to eat on the Sabbath. He had violated that. He had healed people on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath as part of the law, the law was made for man. Man. Not the other way around. Man was not made for the law. When God created man, he did not intend to put him under the law. Amen? It's so important for us to see that. Look at Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them, to bow down unto them. They cease not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and, hath, uh, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the, land, into the hand of Joshua. Okay, here's what's going on. They're, they're coming into the land and, and they, they're, they're worshiping false gods. And one of the things that God had promised them in the land was he would give them peace. He would protect them from their enemies as they obeyed the law. Now, that's not the covenant he made with Abraham. That's the covenant he made with Moses. The covenant he made with Abraham was an unconditional covenant. God said, I will. With Moses, he said, if you will do this, I will then do this. There was a condition. The condition was that they would keep the law. They would obey the law, walk in obedience to the law. When they failed to do that, and not only failed, but literally disregarded the law, then God said, okay, since you're breaking that, then I won't keep my part either. That's what's going on. God said, I will give you peace. The purpose of the law was so that men could have peace in the land. When they violated it, God removed the peace. All right, so we learned something else. So first of all, it was given to serve man. Second, it was given to protect them in the land, to give them peace. And then third, we learned this. It was given to protect the lawful from the lawless. 
It was given to protect the lawful from the lawless. All right, let's get this. You had the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And from that point on, man is being governed by conscience. They're being governed by conscience. They have to try and do right by conscience. Remember, they wanted to be like gods, discerning good from evil. Is that right? That's why, that's why um, Eve ate the fruit, and Adam then took the fruit after her, and they fell. Now they're living by conscience. They're being guided by conscience. How'd that work out? And the heart, the thoughts of man, Genesis chapter 6, the thoughts of man were only evil continually. That's what happens when you follow your conscience. Your conscience is going to lie to you. All right? So here's what happens. God destroys the world in the flood. And now he establishes with Noah a new understanding. Now we're going to have human government. We're going to establish rule based on tribes and government. How'd that work out? Tower of Babel. Get to the Tower of Babel. Let us build us a city and make to us a name. Let us build us a tower into the heavens that we can be like gods. So what does God do? God comes down. He confounds their language. He said this, that when everybody comes together as one under this human government, when they all come together based on their own conscience, based on what they think is right and wrong, when they all get together, what are they going to do? They're going to forget God. They're going to forget God. And it's all going to be about man. Does that sound like today? Let's all get together. We now live in a global community. The idea of national sovereignty is gone from the world. We are members of the... We are citizens of the world. No, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Amen? The rest of the world, let them take care of themselves. Man, that gets, that gets people mad. We have a responsibility to the world. Yeah, we have the spot. You know what our responsibility to the world is? To be a good, strong, godly nation. If we'll do that, then we can help the world. If we say we're no different, we're no better, we're, we're just like you, then how can we help them? We're, we're going to get to that some more in a second. So here, we have to understand this. When the whole world came together, when man were all in one place with the same language, with the same ideas, they stopped looking at God. God confounded their languages so that they could seek Him and trust in Him. You know what that means? That means world unity should be the opposite of what Christians should want. You see? But that's only if you have a biblical perspective. If you have a worldly perspective, then the whole world's your brother. We're all, we're all children of God. Are we all children of God? No. You're of your father, the devil. That's what Jesus Christ said. I'll take Jesus' word for it instead of somebody else's. Is that right? So now we're starting to understand. They had their conscience. That led to the flood. They had their, their human government. That led to the Tower of Babel. After the Tower of Babel, now we have promise. Now, now we have God comes to Abraham and he gives him promises. And he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the seed through you. I'm going to give you a land where you can live in righteousness and I'll protect you. 
And that wasn't good enough. The promises weren't good, weren't good enough. The people still wanted the world, and they wanted what the world had. They end up down in Egypt for 400 years. In Egypt for 400 years, God, sa- God protects them. He keeps them safe. They're multiplied as a nation. They're multiplied as a people. They're multiplied into a force of millions. And God delivers them. And they come out with those promises. And what do they do with those promises? They end up dancing around a golden calf, worshiping the gods of Egypt. Do you see what's going on? And God still had grace. God still had grace. So now when he takes them into the land, they're saying that man cannot govern themselves. Man cannot live righteously by their conscience, by their human government, or by their promises. So now I'm going to give you the law so that you can live righteously. Do you know what that did? Everything that man thought was okay, all of a sudden they found out it wasn't. Because God taught them something through the law. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I think most of us are familiar with this passage. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world... Who was that one man? Adam. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Is that right? We're all sinners. We are all sinners. Now, look, drop down with me to verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Okay, who is that one man? Adam. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Who's that one? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Is that a strange statement? Why did the law come in? That the offense, I want to say it right, that the offense might abound. What in the world is going on? They thought they were okay. God had to demonstrate to them, you're not okay. Your idea of right and wrong is wrong. Amen? Uh, So God's establishing the truth that He is the ordainer of truth. Um, Now, let me say this. This this is... you got to get this thought. Are you doing okay this morning? Okay, good. you got to get this truth. God never imagined that anybody would keep the law perfectly. How many of you think that God understood that? Was he shocked when they failed to keep the law? Oh, no! No, he knew they weren't going to keep it perfectly. That's why he gave it to them. They thought they were okay. They're not okay. And so that's what the law did. The law demonstrated to them, it magnified their wickedness. It showed them how great their offenses were. Let me say this. Without law, fallen man cannot be granted liberty. We have freedom because of our laws. See, the purpose of government is to allow us to live free. But if Dan knew, because he's bigger and stronger than me, can come and take my property, then I'm not living free. 
if because he's stronger than me, he can subjugate me, then I'm not free. Is that right? So the law says what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. If you come to take mine, you're going to be violating the law and the government will impose a penalty. So that allows me to be free to have my own property. Does that make sense? So what happens is law gives liberty. And God wanted the people to live in liberty in the land of Israel. As a matter of fact, the first introduction of the word liberty is when God's giving the law. That's where he gives us the concept of liberty, and I don't have time to get into that this morning. Now, without law, fallen man cannot be granted liberty. Something has to govern fallen man. It will either be grace governing a man who's saved, or it'll be the law governing a man that's lost. See, let me, let me give you an example of that. As a believer, I'm not going to steal from Bob because that would dishonor my Savior. Amen? As a lost man, I'm not going to steal from Bob because I don't want to go to jail and because Bob would shoot me. Okay? Do you see the difference? How many see the difference in that? I am going to honor my vow to my wife not because I agreed to it before the law, but because I want to honor my Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Now, the law, what's the law going to do? Now, I, I got can I just make a political comment? I, I'm, I'm generally shy about making political comments. This is where no-fault divorce is destroying our country. You hear what I'm saying? No-fault divorce is destroying our country. You see, here's what the law was supposed to do. If I commit to my wife and I leave her, well, then the law would impose a penalty. I'm still responsible to care for her financially. Is that right? Flip side is, if she decides to lose, leave me and run off, then that frees me of my responsibility to provide for her. She made that choice. With no-fault divorce, that, that's gone. That understanding of right and wrong and morality in the relationship is gone. So now how do Christians stay married? By being obedient to the Word of God. Because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. I honor, I, I love my wife because Christ also loved the church. She submits to me because uh, the church submits to Christ. We, we, we want to honor Christ. That's how we have a good home. See, that's, that's the difference. In grace, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I behave properly based on my love for Him. Without the Lord Jesus Christ in me, I behave properly because somebody is going to put me in prison. Okay? Um, now, our founders understood this principle. Man has to be governed, and he cannot be trusted with liberty. I want you to listen to this. This is what Noah Webster said. He's one of our founders. He had a dictionary. Noah Webster. Okay. The moral principles and precepts contained in the Scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Y'all agree with that? I agree with that. 
That's a great statement. That's one of our founders. How is liberty working out in Egypt? Is it working out well? No. What's going on in Egypt? They got a democratic government, which is giving them slavery because that's what the people want is slavery. Why? Because their government is based on the Koran. Our government's based on the Bible. And so when you have unbelieving pagans who hate the Word of God, like Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, in charge of our governmental systems, they believe that we are a democracy. So they're going to take what they believe we ought to be to to Egypt. How's that working out? Because they don't understand what John Adams said. Listen to what John Adams said. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion, avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry, would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and righteous people. It is wholly inadequate to the government, inadequate to the government of any other. So now you see why our country is in such a mess. We're no longer a moral and a righteous people, and so our Constitution is wholly inadequate to control the passions of man. When our men who are running for office are afraid to say that sodomy is wrong, when they're afraid to make that statement publicly for fear of the electorate, what are the chances of us in the future? And we're supposed to be a Christian nation. So why are we like that? Because Christians are no longer rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ, which causes them to love God's Word and love the God of the Word. Now we're filled with ourselves and our own opinions and our own ideas, and that's what's leading us to the place where we are. The law was there for a reason. The law is here to govern man to behave properly apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see that? I don't think you're getting it. All right. And it's because I'm a poor teacher. Let me say this. This is so important that you get this. How is it that the United Methodist Church can choose sodomites to be pastors and leaders? Why does that happen? Why is it that the Presbyterian Church USA can start ordaining sodomites? Why is it that the Anglican churches can begin ordaining sodomites, or the Episcopal churches in America, Anglican in England, Episcopal in the United States? Why is it that they're able to do that? Why does that happen? Can I, can I just say it real clearly? Because they're not saved. Are you saying only Baptists are saved? Oh, no. The American Baptist Convention has a, a whole section called Affirming and Welcoming Baptists. And that is they, they just welcome sodomite couples and they'll marry them and they'll, they'll do all of that. That's the American Baptist churches. Do you know why they do that? They're not saved. And so here's what's going on in the world. They've rejected the law of God. 
Is that right? But they've also rejected the Savior who's offering them eternal life by grace. So now what are they governed by? Their own opinions. What they think is right. What they think is tolerant. What they think is loving. What they think is hate. That's what they're guided by. There's no ruler. And I don't mean ruler as in a ruler on top of you. I mean the ruler that your teacher would hit your hand with. Oh, you thought they were for, you didn't know they were for measuring? You thought it was just a weapon that your teacher would use in school. Of course, your teachers can't do that anymore, can you? I know it's a shame. <laughs> Wade would have, you know, a, a yardstick about three inches, like a baseball bat. Um, the reason that they're doing that is there's no, there's no law. There's no guide. There's no authority. See, that's what the law is. The law is to represent what God wants the world. What the law does is it gives God's righteousness. We either have the righteousness of Christ or we have the righteousness of the law. That's what the book of Galatians teaches us. How many of you are glad you have the righteousness of Christ? It's so important that we see this. All right, so now, let me do this and we'll be done for today. So it's to give people peace, but it's also, next to demonstrate that man cannot govern himself righteously. Um, Let me read this to you. Here's what happens when Americans decide to make their own opinions and have their own law. Let me read something to you. When I talk about shared responsibility, it's because I genuinely believe that in a time when many folks are struggling... And at a time when we have enormous deficits, it's hard for me to ask seniors on a fixed income or young people with student loans. Let me just stop right there for a second. I just think it's awful. Dan, I can't believe you did this, that you made those young people take those student loans. You held a gun to their head and said, take that student loan. Dan, did you do that? No. No. So already we have a premise here that's a lie. You see that? It's a lie. All right? It's hard for me to ask seniors on a fixed income or young people with student loans or middle-class families who can barely pay the bills to shoulder the burden alone. And I think to myself, if I'm willing to give something up as somebody who's been extraordinarily blessed, and give up some of the tax breaks that I enjoy, I actually think that's going to make economic sense. But for me as a Christian, it also coincides with Jesus' teaching that for unto whom much is given, much shall be required. He said this also mirrors the Islamic belief and that those who've been blessed have an obligation to use those blessings to help others or the Jewish doctrine of moderation and consideration for others. Okay, that was our president this past week. And so basically what he's saying, that's at the National Prayer Breakfast. Okay? And so now what? The, here's, the, here's the idea. Because he doesn't understand the law, and he doesn't understand grace, and he rejects the Bible. He can somehow imagine that Jesus wants government to raise taxes. Isn't it interesting? 
Now, let me be real clear here. It's amazing to me how people who are clinging to their guns and Bibles, remember when he said that? We're just stupid people clinging to our guns and Bibles. Now he's going to stand before a group of evangelicals or whatever, and he's going to say, Jesus Christ wants you to submit to my policies. Oh, does Jesus Christ also want us to kill babies? When he was a senator in Illinois, there was a baby that was aborted. They tried to kill this baby. And in case anyone misunderstands it, abortion is killing babies. Okay? I mean, the, the, the process of killing babies, that's abortion. I understand technically anything that causes a baby uh, not to come to term is, is, is called a, 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 an abortion. But you understand what we're talking about when we say abortion. We're talking about a doctor killing a baby before it can be delivered. Do we all understand that? Um, and th this, again, is something that our politicians won't say. Are you pro-choice? What does that mean? Choose between a Big Mac and a Whopper? Is that what you mean? What do you mean by pro-choice? You know, a woman's right to choose. A right to choose what? To kill their baby. To kill their baby. Plain speech, amen? Let's get this right. For believers, let's make sure that we use the right language. All right? So this baby, they tried to kill it. The baby didn't die. They didn't know what to do. So they put it in a closet until it died on its own. So they were going to pass a law in Illinois that if an abortion doesn't work and the baby lives, that that baby must be cared for. Barack Obama voted against that. thought that was unreasonable. It would violate a woman's right to choose. Common sense. Here's common sense. Now, this is going to be graphic, okay? Can you all follow with me here for a second? Here's Joby Jimerson. Joby's got her walker here today. Her knee's not working quite right. And, and she's getting up in years. You know what? We need pew space. Let's just kill her. Anybody going to vote for that? How many of you think we ought to kill her? <laughs> She said, don't ask my kids. <laughs> now, honestly, how many of you, seriously, just that, just the discussion here, that, that's offensive. Well, it's offensive on both ends. We don't kill them at the beginning of life. We don't kill them at the end of life. You know, hey, Jake, come here for a minute. This kid right here, he's a lot of work. You know, we got to have a house with enough room. we got to have enough food, and you would not believe what he eats. He costs me haircuts and piano lessons and smile real big for us. It's like $30,000 for these teeth. You know what? I'm a little depressed. I'm, you know, it's, it's affecting me emotionally. I think I'll just kill him. Why not? It feels okay to me. If it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. What if my heart's saying, kill him? What if my heart's saying, eat him? 
you see, yeah, what a choice, right? He's kind of a clown. I think he'd taste funny. Now, look. Thanks, Jake. That's the only justification for abortion, folks. That's it. What about the mother? Well, she shouldn't have gotten pregnant. I can't believe you said that. You're so judgmental. Look, that's why we have the law. Because without the law, man will do anything. They'll do anything. They'll have death panels with the, with the insurance agencies to say that, no, no, Joby, you can't get that knee work done. You, you just need to live with it because there's only so much money in the kitty and we need it for the, for the worker bees. That's what happens. That's what happens when there's no law and there's no grace. What do you end up with? You end up with communist China. You end up with Soviet, with, with, with the, the Soviet Union under Stalin and Lenin. With, with hundreds of millions of people killed. Do you see that? And yet we have a government that's wanting to lead us into that. Why? No law, no grace. What are we left with? Chaos. Anarchy. It's horrible. It's horrible. Why the law? Why the law? Because we need it. You either need the law or you need the Savior. What's your choice? I'll take the Savior. See, and I just have to say this. When Barack Obama says that unto whom much is given, much shall be required, he doesn't read the rest of the context. Jesus Christ is not for gay marriage. He's not for gays in the military. Jesus Christ is not for stealing money from one person to give it to another. You know, there's, there's no book in your Bible called Robin Hood. Right? Sherwood Forest, nowhere in the Bible. It, amen? All that is, it's wickedness. It's wickedness. And for, for people like that to quote the scriptures, now, now I guess we could have a Mormon telling us what the Bible says. We're in a mess, folks. We're in a mess. Why? Because you've got either the law or grace. And when both are gone, then you end up with chaos. When confronted by the law of God rather than the statute of man, the offense abounded, and we saw that. Romans. If God gave ten commandments, then fallen man would have ten commandments to break. If God had given 100 commandments, then man would have 100 commandments break. When God gives 47 chapters in Leviticus and in Exodus describing the law, now it's impossible for man to keep it. It's impossible. And the offense abounded because the law magnifies guilt. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is law is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had known I had not known sin. But by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. You see, the law is not bad. The law is not evil. The law is not wrong. The law demonstrates our need for a Savior. There's so much more that I could cover. 
Let's finish up here. James 1, verse 22. You might be thinking, and, and the way our minds work is we remember the most sensational part of any message. So you might leave here saying, man, all today was was the pastor railing against Barack Obama. Or somebody else might say, the only thing the service was about today was the pastor talking about Methodists. No. What I'm talking about is what happens when you remove the law and you remove grace and you end up with anarchy. Do you know what you end up with? There's no judge in Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's, that's where we are. Look at James. Here's, here's what the Bible says. Chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So here's, here's what the Bible says. When you hear the word of God but you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. Because when you hear the truth of the word of God, like today, when you hear the truth of the word of God, there are three things that you can do to it. Only three things. He can repent, humble himself, and repent to what the Bible says. He can completely reject it and mock it. Or he can deceive himself and compare himself to other people and say, well, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. James Knox, I was listening to him on Galatians earlier this week, and he said, go to prison for prison ministry. And you'll be giving somebody the gospel And here's what he'll say. Well, I'm not as bad as the guy in the next cell. I didn't do what he did. Right? See, once you hear the truth like today, how many of you are glad? Seriously, how many of you are glad you don't have to keep the law to go to heaven? Isn't that wonderful? But what happens is when when the only other option, you have two options after that if you're not going to keep the law. You have two options. Because you can't keep the law and go to heaven. The other option is, well, then hang everything. I'm going to be as wicked as I can. Or the other option is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and say, I can't keep the law. I'm not good. There's nothing that I can do to take myself to heaven. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. The law points me to that. The law shows me that I can't be good. The law shows me that I can't be righteous. That's all that you can do. So now, here today, we've heard the truth. We've heard the truth about so many different subjects, whether it's abortion or whether it's confiscatory taxes or whether it's, you name it. We've heard the word of God about many things today, God's position on it. But the most important of those is your salvation. It doesn't matter if you have right tax policy and then go to hell. That doesn't help you. It doesn't matter if you're against abortion and go to hell. It doesn't help you. The issue is, what have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you're either trying to keep the law or you're realizing that there's no way that you can keep the law. And that's why Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Now we place our faith and trust in Him. And after we have the Holy Spirit in us, now we can walk in righteousness. So let me say this. How many of you are saved today? Are you saved? All right. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit unto your own husbands. Children, obey your parents. Amen? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so much the doors, so much the more as you see the day approach. Once you're saved, there are things that Jesus Christ expects of you. Not so that you can go to heaven because you love him. 
It establishes righteousness in your life. Amen? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. On the first day of the week. The, the Bible talks about all of these things. It talks about all of these things. Once you're saved, do right. Live right. Behave right. Vote right. Amen? All right. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to submit to your word. Like we said in Sunday school, the world wants peace, but they don't want the Prince of Peace. The world wants happiness, but they don't want the one who gives happiness.